All right. All right, let's say a prayer here well, and then you can, you can find your, your final seat. All right. We pray you, O Lord, to keep our tongues from evil and our lips from speaking deceit, that as your holy angels continuously sing praises to you in heaven, so we may at all times glorify you on earth. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, so... Uh, first question is, does everybody have a handout? Raise your hand if you don't have a handout. Look, can we get a handout over here? It'll, it'll come its way. Now, the other thing is, everybody needs a Bible. The Bibles are on their way. So if you, if you find yourself without a Bible, say, Jim, I need a Bible. Okay, and while the Bibles are coming around, actually, I need a handout too. Thank you, Martha. We're out. Okay. Okay. All right. You all showed up in great numbers today. Um, okay, so uh, just a couple pieces of business first. The basket's on the table. Um, today, uh, the money you put in there goes to Grace Christian School in the city. So please uh, give generously and help them out. Um, it's a joy to, to have the opportunity to help them out. So please do that. With that, any questions? Shouldn't be any because we haven't talked about anything yet. So, <laughs> anybody else need any Bibles? Great. Okay. So now I wrote the description for the Bible study um, a couple of weeks ago, and and uh, then as I started working on the Bible study, I realized that the description wasn't going to quite. It wasn't going to cut it because, um, well, as you know, I, I think as you've dis- maybe you've discovered about me, with uh, th- there's just too much going on in these stories to sort of. Narrow us down. So, although I say the patriarchs, this is a Bible study about Genesis. We're going to just... Hey, Genesis in, uh, let's see, it's going to be about 10 weeks, okay? But, here's what I promise. <laughs> we don't have to finish it, okay? So, I'll, I'll, we'll, go, we'll go nice and slow, and um, we, we don't even have to get through everything today. In fact, um, I was working on this, and uh, there's, a lot, there's a lot of stuff on this page, on these pages. So, um, we don't have to get through all of that. Um, so come with your questions. Um, and now here's, so here's the reason for doing this. Um, there's a quotation by Peter Lightheart there. He's got a book, A House for My Name, which is a survey of the Old Testament. It's a, it's a really interesting book, uh, which he wrote uh, for, um, especially he designed it for like families to read together, high, high schoolers to study. Um, and I, I, I use it as a reference occasionally. Just the, and the idea is um, the Bible tells, tells one story, right? And uh, you've heard this before. What's that story? Do you, do you, know, do you remember? What's, what's the story in the Bible? Death and resurrection, death and resurrection right? Okay. Um, and so in Jesus, we see death and resurrection. We see death uh, suffer its final blow. And in his resurrection, um, he's vindicated over death. But that story of death and resurrection extends all the way back to the beginning. Um, and so... As Peter Lightheart says, a beginning is nothing without an ending, but an ending without a beginning isn't worth much either. And so if we took, if we took the story of Jesus' death and resurrection sort of in isolation, um, we, would be sort of, we, we would be robbing it of the rest of the, rest of the history, the rest of the hist- God's redemptive history where he is um, leading us towards Jesus' death and resurrection. Right? Remember with First and Second Kings, it was the story of 
the, the death and resurrection of the Davidic kingdom, right? So wisdom died with Solomon. The temple was destroyed. Uh, so, so, so even this building, the temple, the temple, the temple, even this building was destroyed. Um, even uh, even our, our, our frail attempts at following God's law were, were put to nothing. The prophets, the prophets were uh, ridiculed um, and, and suffered death, stoned, put to death. Um, but the story doesn't end, doesn't end there, right? In fact, um, we're in, morning, in the morning Eucharist, we're starting readings in Ezra and Nehemiah, which uh, is, is very, very interesting. So let me, I'll throw that as a plug to come to the morning Eucharist. You get a chance to hear Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, and what Ezra and Nehemiah are, um, are so, sort of, you know, they come after First and Second Kings, and they're the story of um, Israelite exiles returning and rebuilding the temple, so there's, uh, but there's this, there's this sort of mixed emotion about it um, because uh, although they rebuild it, they, they re- start by rebuilding the altar and then they build the foundation of the temple and then they, uh, they celebrate the Passover. These things are starting to come back, but it's not like, it's not like it was. It's not like, um, it's not like when, it, when it was in its former glory. And so even then, even when they returned from exile to Jerusalem, um, the, there's, this great, there's this great passage in... In Ezra. Now I'm not even talking about Genesis yet. Um, there's this great passage in Ezra, Ezra chapter 3. But many of the priests and Levites and the heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy. So the people could not distinguish the sound of a joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. So at the same time that there was a shout of joy, there was also the sound of weeping, right? Because this wasn't, this wasn't what, it, what it was meant to be. This wasn't fulfilling the purpose that it was set out to fulfill. And it wouldn't do that. It won't do that in, in the Bible until Jesus comes and is the wisdom of God and the, and the temple of God incarnate and suffers death and, uh, and rises again. Okay? So the story, the whole story is the story of death and resurrection. Now, which brings us... To, um, to Genesis. Um, and, and this is why Genesis chapters 1 through 3 are so important to us. Um, because in Genesis chapters 1 through 3, we learn about death. Okay? Um, they, there's, a, there's a prelude to death, and then we learn about, then we learn about death. And we're going to spend our time um, sort of understanding that today. Let me have some coffee. I thought I was going to speak more slowly, but you... Something about you people is just... Uh, <laughs> Here's, here's what's going to happen. Okay, so open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Now, the, the other great reason to do this, so, I, um, so if, if you're the, the high schoolers, um, the strategy that, that we're sort of engaging with the high schoolers this year, that Vicar, Vicar Cowell is teaching them right now, um, is that learning, learning Bible stories is um, really, really important. And it's also, it's a, so that, that's sort of a given, but it's also... Um, really, really important to review Bible stories, especially the ones you think you know really well. Because uh, things that we take for granted um, often sort of uh, fall into the back burner. Um, so, so what is, you know, as we engage Genesis 1 through 3, you may think you know the story, um, but uh, perhaps there's more there than you've, than you've seen before. So here's what's going to happen. Let's take a look at Genesis 1. Now, I want to take it in a couple chunks. So, Genesis 1 through... Chapter 2, verse 3, okay? 
Uh, that's, this is the seven days of creation. And what I want to do, maybe there's a marker here that works. That one works. Okay, so um, just take a look. There's a couple things we have to do. So what, the, the, what I want you to do is, I this is an interactive activity now. Time to participate. Um, what I want to do is I want to, so it's not, just, it's not just a random list of days. It's not just an arbitrary thing that God says, I'm going to do this on the first day and this on the fourth day and so forth. The, there's a reason for it. It's ordered in a specific way. In fact, um, I was just reading, uh, reading something. One of, the, one of, the, uh, one of the, the great critiques of the scientific enterprise, the scientific enterprise which tries to say we can, we can discover things about the world apart from God. One of the great critiques of, of that is that science, um, the notion that you can discover things um, and that you can, un- you can uncover order and structure in the world is founded on the, in the, on the very principle that there is an order and a structure in the world to begin with, right? And here we see, so it's, so it's, it's, it's kind of self-defeating to say, well, here's this, this chaotic thing and let's see, let's, by, by the way, let's see if we can find some order in it. No, if you presume there's order, um, there must, you know, th- then of course you can find order in it. Then you're going to look for order. And so that's why science engages in, the, in the, the enterprise that it does. So we're going to do the same thing here with Genesis 1. What's the order? What's the pattern? Um, and more specifically, when you have a pattern, what deviates from the pattern proves to be very important. Okay? Is everybody on board? Makes sense? So we're going to look at these seven days of creation and, uh, and try and understand what's going on. So um, I'm going to pull, uh, Mike, I'm just going to pull this out a little bit so it's more in the center. There we go. Perfect. Okay. So day one. Um, so I'm going to just ask you a couple questions. You can look at it in the text. We're not going to read it aloud. Um, maybe we will, depending on how this goes. Um, first day, what's cre- what happens on the first day? Okay, can you be more specific? Okay, so let's skip the chaos and go straight to the first day. How's that sound? Okay. <laughs> what happens on the first day? God speaks. God speaks. Okay, so... Um, okay, and there's... Uh, this is just true all along. Now, um, this is important to note. What does he say? Let there be. Okay. Let there be. Okay. Now, first day, somebody said light. Can you be more specific than that? Okay, so we got light, which is separated from darkness. Okay, good, excellent. How many verses uh, does the first day occupy? Well, let's leave. Let's leave the chaos out. Three. Okay. All right. Three verses. Okay. Yeah, I'm asking. Okay, get out your calculator. Second day. Um, I'm just going to write the number because it'll take less time. Second day. What happens on the second day? Right. We're just we're, for now. We're just going to look at the the days of creation. Okay. We're, for the structure of the days of creation. Okay. So what happens on the second day? Waters. And. Okay. So waters above. And waters below, right? Right? Is that true? How many verses does this take up? Three verses. Okay, what happens on the third day? 
Okay, waters from land, and there's a little bit more than that. Yeah, so there's there's vegetation, right, for the land. This is this is what this is good for the land. Vegetation. Okay, and how many verses does the third day take up? Can you count them? One, two, three, four. I count. I count five. Okay. Okay, five verses now. Here it's time to turn back to your handout. This is uh, this is an important point right here. The, okay, so the fact so I'm going to give you a clue as to the structure. The third day is an important day uh, because on the third day God creates land and uh, He puts vegetation in it. Why do you suppose that's important? Yeah, right. Specifically, what kind of life? Human life, right? Okay, so listen to what Martin Luther has to say about this. That's the first quotation there after the Lightheart quotation on page one of your handout. So he's talking about when, in verse 10, when God says, uh, and God saw that it was good. Um, now notice, notice on the third day, God says that it's good twice. He says that the separation between the waters and the land is good and that the vegetation is good. So we get two goods. Good, not two gods. Okay, here's what Luther says. Here Moses adds this favorable comment in spite of the fact that nothing had been done beyond the separating of the waters and the bringing forth of the insignificant bit of earth. Above, he did not add this brief statement to the most beautiful part of the works of God. Perhaps this is because God wanted to indicate to us that he was more concerned about our dwelling place than his own and thus to arouse our gratitude. We were not to live in the air or in the heaven, but on the earth, where we were to support our life with food and drink. So then, after he has prepared the roof of this building, namely the heaven, and has added light, he now also gets ready a piece of ground and brings forth the earth, fit for the habitation and activity of, hum- of mankind. That, work, that this work is pleasing to him, he says, twice on our account. So much does he care about us that he also reassures us concerning the future. He promises that he will continue to be greatly concerned about this structure, which he has so carefully erected, and that he will be close at hand and ward off the enemy in most certain death, namely water. Thus he makes a superb beginning with the foundations and the roof of this house. Okay, and then he goes on to talk about the, the, the vegetation. He has built the first parts of the house. It has the most elegant roof, the heaven, though it is not yet fully adorned. Its foundation is the earth. Its walls on every side are the sea. Okay, so now uh, there's a couple interesting things going on there. First of all, Luther draws out what you, what you concluded as well, that this day is important because on this day God provides what's necessary for human life, right? Land for us to live on, vegetation, and in fact he's so emphatic about how good this is, he says it twice, because he's so concerned about us, about our dwelling place, about, huma- uh, about humanity's dwelling place. Um, now, Luther uses this, uh, this word house to describe what God is doing, and uh, we get a sense of this um, all over the scriptures, um, he, God talks about uh, the, the universe as a house and nations as houses. And uh, you get the picture, uh, hence the name for Lightheart's book, A House for My Name, that God is constructing a house for his, his premier creation to live in. We got, a, we got a sense of this, if you were here for First and Second Kings, um, when Solomon built the temple... You remember that the temple in so many ways resembled the Garden of Eden. There was this, uh, this abundance of water uh, in all directions. 
And uh, in the design work of the, the structure of the temple, there were you know, pomegranate trees, for this fruitfulness, right? Um, things that you know, seem, w- would, would seem odd in um, a temple that wasn't concerned with uh, pr- the provision of human need, right? So uh, the temple was designed to imitate uh, the, the structure of the Garden of Eden, this, this house that God had built for humanity, right? The, 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 the house that, uh, that he prepares and calls good even, even above the, his own house that he dwells in, okay? Okay, we're getting there. Um, that's the third day. Let's take a look at the fourth day. Fourth day. What happens on the fourth day? Okay, okay, sun and moon and stars. Lights in the sky. I better write sun and moon and stars. Um, but you'll notice, right, um, of the fr- three days that came before, um, which day does this most correspond with? The first, day. the first day, right? So on the fourth day, God is filling the heavens above with, with uh, he's populating the, the, the upper part of the house with the lights to govern the day and the night, right? And he, and he sets them as, as subordinate governors. Now, this is, there's, there's this interesting, um, uh, uh, an interesting fact about ancient Near Eastern literature um, that a lot of, a lot of uh, re- religions in the ancient Near East considered the sun and the moon and the stars to be deities. What's different about Genesis? They're created, right? They're subordinate to God. Their rule over the times and days and seasons and years is appointed by God. It's not, it's not their own, right? Genesis uh, um, is, uh, is in some ways an argument against um, worshiping created things. Um, you don't worship the sun and the moon and the stars. God created them. Why would, you, why would you worship them? God made them. They're creatures, okay? All right, how many verses is day four? I better count. 14 through 19, that's 6, right? Because you have to add, yeah, you can't just subtract. That's the, you subtract and then add 1, right? 6 verses. Okay. All right. Um, let's move on to the 5th day. What happens on the 5th day? Fish and birds. Okay. And now you see another correspondence here to the waters above and the waters below, right? So uh, fish and birds, he's, he's filling, he's filling uh, this space in his house with living creatures. And how many verses is that? Four. Okay. Okay, now up to this point, uh, how is God, so take, take, this, take this day. How did God, what did God say uh, on, the, on the fifth day? Uh, sorry, at the beginning of the fifth day when he created it. Let the water swarm. Let, let there be, let, the, let, let this happen, right? Let there be, uh, excuse me. <coughs> okay, now, the sixth day. What happens on the sixth day? The, okay, now we have to narrow that down a little bit, or be more specific. So the rest of the creatures... Livestock, land animals, right? Land animals, uh, which helps us. So we get this. You see what? I, let's see what's happening. There's this mirroring, right? Fourth day goes with first day. Fifth day with second day. Sixth day with third day. Third day was important because it creates this habitation for humanity. 
Sixth day is going to be important too, maybe. Uh, land, animals, and then people. Okay. Now, you don't have to count them, but how, if you were going to describe how many verses the sixth day takes up, how many are there? A lot. Okay. A lot of verses. So now, so all of this is to show you, you, you people who are standing behind me can't see, can you? I'm sorry. Um, uh, I'm really sorry. Uh, <laughs> I need two whiteboards. Um, okay, so all of this is to show you just how important certain parts of God's creation are. So the, so the deviation from the pattern shows what's important. So, so if you're going to summarize what's most important about God's creation, what is it? Man, right. Um, it's the creation of mankind. Now, let's, le- let's look more specifically at uh, the creation of mankind. So verse 26. Here's another, here's another deviation from the pattern. Then God said, verse 26, let us make man in our image. So on the sixth day, not with the land animals, but with people, he says, let us make He says something different than what he'd said before. Take a look at the second quotation by Luther on page 2. He's he's really insightful here, and he draws our attention to exactly exactly what's going on. Here again, Moses employs a new expression. He does not say, let the sea be set in motion, let the earth bring forth herbs, or let it bring forth. He says, let us make. Now, uh, I'll just read Luther. Therefore, he includes an obvious deliberation and plan, right? So he's he's. Uh, it's not just it's not just an utterance which brings forth something, but it's this uh, this sort of uh, inner deliberation um, about what's going on. So let us do this, right? Now, so they, throughout the his, history of biblical interpretation, there's all kind. There's a variety of uh, schools of thought about this. But just what's your first instinct? When God says, let us make, what is, who's that us refer to? Okay, all right. And, I, I, you know, I, the, the, the evidence for that is, uh, is pretty stark. And, in fact, Luther says, Luther says the, the same thing here, right? So who, who else could he be talking to, <laughs> right? Um, the angels aren't participating in creation. Some folks say that it's the angels. Some say it's like this royal we, right? Queen celebrated her. 64th, whatever rule, uh, year of rule this, this, uh, this past week. It's not, I mean, God doesn't talk that way the rest of the time. There's this specific de- deliberation going on. And it's, it's this inner Trinitarian dialogue, right? So he says, let us do this. Um, Therefore, he includes an obvious deliberation and plan. He did nothing similar in the case of earlier creatures. There, without any deliberation and counsel, he said, let the sea be put in motion, let the earth produce, etc. But here... When he wants to create man, God summons himself to a council and announces some sort of deliberation. Therefore, in the first place, there is indicated here an outstanding difference between man and all the other creatures. Now, this is really important. Pay attention here. The beasts, the land animals, greatly resemble man. They dwell together. They are fed together. They eat together. They receive their nourishment from the same materials. They sleep and rest among us. Therefore, if you take into account their way of life, their food, their support, their similarity is great. In fact, that's precisely what the prevailing uh, understanding of our relationship to animals is, is that similarity is 
to the point of identity, right? So we are intelligent animals, right? Um, but, but according to the creation story, we're not, we're not simply intelligent animals. We're of a different sort, okay? We're different than the animals in this way, that God created us in his image, okay? But here Moses points out an outstanding difference between these living beings and man when he says that man was created by the special plan and providence of God. So it took this let us make as opposed to let there be people, all right? Which, which shows just how important it is. Now, um, I had in mind to, uh, to tell you two main things. So here, if, you, if you're not going to remember anything else, here are the two main things. The first thing is, this is when I was first thinking of the course as um, about the patriarch. So I, what, what do we say about Adam? Well, Adam is the first, the first man, and as the first man, he is the pinnacle of creation. Okay? He is the reason why God has done all this creative activity. It's for the sake of Adam. Okay? The second point is the one that comes later, which is, which is the tragic point, but which also informs um, the rest of biblical history and informs the cross and, and Christ's death and resurrection, which is that Adam is the author of death, right? He's the one who, he's the one who brings about death in the world, okay? So when I wrote the, when I, again, when I wrote the description of the class, I wanted to, I, I made some cute remark about, uh, I thought it was cute, about uh, how you, you'll find the faith of the patriarchs to be other than what you'd expect. Well, this is certainly true. Um, in the case of Adam, we want Adam. We want Adam. We would. Lo- it'd be great if Adam was, um, as this proto, as this prototypical man, to be perfect. But he is, in fact, um, he is, he is the anti-Jesus in some sense, right? Jesus is the new Adam. We need a new Adam, because Adam um, has thrown us into has thrown us into death. Okay. Any questions so far? I haven't given you much of a chance. Uh, a couple of comments. To stick with the image idea, I'm thinking of what a mirror was like in, when these stories were being recorded. That the uh, that the image you see in a mirror was never perfect. Hmm. There's always always flaws. Hmm. Uh, certain distortions and stuff like that, uh, which seems to ring true throughout history. Although, although in in the case in, in this case, so what's what's unique about about when when God reflects on His image, right? When God creates in His image, there's not going to be there's not going to be any flaws, right? So when He created Adam, Adam was perfect. The image of God. So there's um, there's the next quotation. You see the pic, the picture from Mike, of Michelangelo in the Sistine Chapel showing the creation of God, which, is, which, is, which shows Adam being this mirror image of God, right? Now, what, what, it, what precisely that entails, um, the Lutheran Confessions, the formula of Concord um, and the, the, the uh, Augsburg Confession, or the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, these documents that define, what, you know, de- define our, our Lutheran doctrine, um, they talk about the, the image of God as, um, as, as righteousness, God's righteousness, so, um, Adam, in, in, the, in the first place, Adam was created like God in that he was righteous. He, did, he, he, he lived according to God's will, um, and he did according to, according to um, what God had in mind for him, all right? 
he was without sin. He was, perfect. He was flawless, right? And so, and so then the fall into sin um, means the loss of that righteousness, the lo- and in that sense, the loss of the image of God. Now, um, there's, another, there's, there's a sort of a broader sense in which you, can, which you can understand the image of God, which I think is helpful. Just as, just as there are two ways you can, you can talk about God as our Father. So God is, is the Father of all hu- humankind in, simply because He created us, right? He created us, even though um, we don't act like His children, right? And, and by nature, we are, in fact, at odds with Him, right? We're His enemies, we're, not, we're, we're the furthest thing from children, we, and, we, and we've lost his image. Um, nonetheless, he is, he's the father of all creatures. In the same way, um, the image of God uh, is, is, the, is the way it can, can be understood in this broader sense as the way that we reflect God's attributes, God's characteristics. So there's a quotation. I just read it. Uh, it just came in the mail on Thursday. I just read it. So this is fresh, hot off the presses. Uh, an article um, by a past, another pastor in... Uh, in Illinois, let me see, I don't want to read the whole thing for you. Um, just this first paragraph. Okay, so he talks about Michelangelo here. The famed artist Michelangelo, this is bottom of page two, had it right when he painted the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Leave it to a painter to understand the meaning of images. For his depiction of Adam reclining on earth as the mirror image of God surrounded in heaven by angels seems to me to be very close to the meaning intended in Let Us Make Man in Our Image. This perspective can be a powerful and comforting governing factor in our own and fleshed lives. For as the psalmist says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, right? And that's true even after Adam and Eve fall into sin, right? We are, we are still fearfully and wonderfully made. Um, it's, I mean, the fact that, the fact that uh, babies are born is a miraculous thing, right? Uh, we are fallen creatures, so the image of God is marred in us. That's where the, that's where the mirror gets distorted in the fall, right? Speech, and in fact, the, so we have, to, we have to talk about this very specifically. The mirror becomes distorted so that, to the point where we are no longer, we are, we are no longer recognizable as, as, as what we were before. Okay? No longer recognizable. The, uh, we are fallen creatures, so the image of God is marred in us. Speech becomes lies. Dominion becomes tyranny. Love becomes lust. And even flesh becomes ugly and ultimately grotesque in its mortality. But vestiges remain. We still occasionally, if minimally, capable of integrity and speech are capable of integrity in speech, thought, self-control, and selfless love. And these features become more evident in our regeneration. But nonetheless, uh, that marred image, that marred reflection, um, is what's is is the reason for the whole story of the the Bible, right? So um, here we're getting ahead of ourselves because um, we're still taught we're not even at the fall yet. Hasn't happened yet. Okay. Um, but uh, go ahead, go ahead, David. Taking on topic. Okay. Um, one of the things I've always been fascinated with the expression: first there was evening, and then there was morning, mm-hmm. uh, day, and then the, the day, and uh, that is repeated for every single day here. So we have each day the emphasis that we're moving from darkness to light. Mm. And, and that and that uh, that is integral to uh, to Jewish culture too. They start they they start to mark the beginning of their day at sundown. That's when day begins, right. and it ends um, subsequently at sundown. Right, Devin. I just wanted to touch on what you just after saying about how the image of God has been marred. But this is the beauty of the gospel, right? Right. This is where this is what it 
This is where the gospel is eventually going to lead us by the resurrection of our bodies in which we confess each and every time. That's right. Yeah, so the rest of, so the rest of this, uh, i got to read the rest of what, uh, but just because we, you said that, i got to read the rest of this here. Um, okay, no, this is good. This is good. Because um, he said, uh, Bernal Eckhart says precisely the same thing. As long as we live, you see the second paragraph here on page three, as long as we live in our fallenness, we struggle with our immense distance. And, and I mean, that kind of language, um, the, 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 Lutheran, the Lutherans at the time of the Reformation really uh, struggled with expressing this uh, uh, adequately, right? Immense distance, um, when, you, when you picture that in your head, um, you, could still, you can still in some sense m- imagine yourself traversing an, even an immense distance. But this distance is so immense that it's not traversable, okay? The distance from, that we, we in our fallen state have from the ideal in which God created us is so immense that we cannot by ourselves traverse it, okay? We struggle with our immense distance from our ideal, from the image of God in which we were once created. Nevertheless, we remain even now because we are still mankind, embodiments, pictures of the invisible God. At least we still look like Jesus, And even if it is only in this way, we still retain a vestige of the image of God. Not only so, but we may also look forward to, with joyful anticipation, the full restoration of that image in us. According to the truth, we confess daily, I believe in the resurrection of the body, and at that day, we like Adam, this is Luther now, shall see like the eagle, have the might of the lion, and enjoy the perfect righteousness, contentedness, and beauty, not merely of Adam, but of the man Jesus Christ who is the eternal image of the Father, now risen from the dead and ascended to his right hand on high. So what's great about this, now, here's the hard thing about doing Genesis. Is we, can't just, we can't just sort of stay in chapter 1. Everything has to come in all at once. But what you see is the image of, the image that Adam was, uh, the image of God that Adam was created in is, uh, is not the image that we look to um, in the resurrection. What do we look to? We look to the image of God manifested in Christ Jesus, right? Uh, who has suffered death and endured, endured the punishment for our sins, endured the wrath of God um, for our sake. Uh, and it's his resurrected body that our resurrected bodies will be like, okay? Um, and, that's, and that's, like you said, that's the, that's the gospel. Um, but we haven't, we haven't even fallen into sin yet, so I, let's, just hold, let's, let's just hold off a second here, okay? Um, yes? Beyond my understanding, maybe everyone. At the end of the first day, it says, "and there, and, and it was a day." Yeah. We continue. We tend to think the sun goes up and the sun goes down, and it's a day. It's not till the fourth day. <laughs> so, how did the first day occur? God, God knew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why he, he was. He, so he got to the fourth day, and he was like, "I better put, I better put a clock in there so they, these people know which what the day is, right?" I, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, one last thing. Um, we're gonna have to. Uh, we're gonna have to pause here. But let's. Uh, I want to show. I want you to just read uh, with me Psalm eight. Well, follow along with me. Open up your Bibles to Psalm eight. And if somebody gets a page number, go ahead and shout it out so that uh, we can all get there swiftly. Uh, Four fifty. Unless you have the perhaps the large print, and then maybe it's a different page number. Four twenty one in the large print. Nope. No, Bill is lying. Okay, all right, 
So uh, Psalm 8 is, is wonderful because it describes everything, it, it sort of sums together everything that we've just said about creation and man's, man's position in, in God's creation. O Lord our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? This is a good question. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Right? When we look, when, so I can't help but just comment. When you, uh, look at, when you look around and say, we've got all of this going on, all this creation, um, and all of, these, all of this, this wonderful creation that we observe, um, what is it about man, what is it, that, that, um, that, that, that leads God to be mindful of him and to care for him. This is it. You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the work of your hands and you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So it's, it's God's... Uh, it's God's good intention to give creation to mankind that, uh, that makes him mindful of man. Everything he does in creating the world is ordered for our good, right? So when he says, and it was good, it was good for us, right? Okay, we got to wrap it up here. This clock says 1247. That's, that's late. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right. Thank you.